0: Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. We've been looking at the call that that Jesus gives to us uh, to follow him in order that we might lead in our lives, and Jesus didn't call uh, followers, simply for the sake of having a followership, but he called followers for the sake of raising them up uh, into leadership, and so we 've been kind of like doing this if you followed along with us here or if you 've been catching up um after the fact, listening to the messages we've looked at uh four bad leaders, you know the, the kind of thing that we don't want to be. Uh, We've looked at the good leader, the the Christ-like leader, the developing leader, um, and you can catch up on all of that in the past, but today I want to talk to you about the keys of effective leadership. If we take it to the Bible, and if we want to be leaders, and if we want to be good leaders, uh, we kind of already know what the developing leader is, but what are some kind of of the values uh, that that we can uh, assign to our own lives if we want to be effective in leadership? What are uh, the keys? And so... um, uh, the first, and I'm going to move through the the first of the the first couple of these kind of quickly because we've touched on them in in the past, and I don't want to beat something that we've already uh, uh, extracted from. But uh, you know, I think that probably one of the the most important, uh, the highest. Um, uh, values that we can have is to just constantly know your why, to constantly know why you're doing what you're doing. And I think of Jesus in this, uh, and I think of how, how when Jesus was our example, when he was here, uh, his entire existence centered a- a- on an obsessive connection with his father, that there was not one moment that Jesus uh, allowed there to be any separation in the fellowship or the connection that he had with heaven. Uh, he, he didn't let anything earthly get in the way uh, of that, um, but that, that was first and that was foremost. It was primal and primary, and everything else could wait, everything else could take a back seat, everything else could not get done. But that was the, the first and the foremost thing. I just think of when Jesus was 12 years old and he was in the temple. And, uh, you know, I mean, even, even before making sure he was where his parents wanted him, which I don't necessarily advise that, you know. But, but when, when they came and they confronted him on his absence two days later, uh, his reply was very simply, didn't you know that I should be about my father's business? You know, and that took priority and precedence over everything, even at a young age. When Jesus was baptized, the next time we see him in his life, with you know, all of those years, eighteen years where we know nothing, but the next time we see him and he's baptized, the voice comes from heaven that this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You know, there was a connection with heaven. Um, we see that Jesus, as he operated in his ministry, he was constantly separating himself for prayer, constantly in communication with the Father, sometimes sometimes, right in the middle of an interaction with with people. He would break that and talk to his Father. You know, that, that was such an inseparable thing. Uh, and, and his leading, his direction, everything that he did was birthed out of his connection with the Father and he would even say in John chapter 8, verse 29, when being asked and questioned about his authority and, and his reason and why he was doing what he was doing, his reply was, I do always only those things which please my Father. And so, you know, as an example to us of understanding our why, why, why we do what we do. You know, if we're not connected to the Father, then that's going to become confusing. We're not going to have a clear picture of what it is that we're supposed to be doing. Our purpose gets fuzzy. and Jesus calls us to, to live like that. Uh, another way that we keep our "why <clears throat> centered and foremost in our minds is that we're constantly becoming more familiar with our gifts and with our strengths. You know we're to know what we're good at. We're to know the area that God tends to use us, uh, just the strengths that we have, and and we're to be familiar with those things because those things help us understand our why. Uh, also, we're to think we should be thinking about our connection to people. What kind of people do you like to help? how do you like to help people? Some, sometimes we like to help people in practical ways, in ways of service. Sometimes we help people uh, with our counsel. Uh, we have different, different ways in which we help people. Sometimes we, we might have a particular uh, understanding uh, of a certain area of life, you know, finance or business. And so we find ourselves helping people, giving counsel in that direction. And so pay attention in your own life to the way that you interact with people because that will help you to stay centered on your why, why why you do what you do and then just to be constantly aware of what is it that energizes and motivates you like what gets you excited what gets you going when you think about it or you could say what activity do you do that makes time stand still you know what do you do and when you're doing it you know 4 hours goes by and it feels like 5 minutes it's because you're just lost. You're in the zone. You know That's kind of like the thing that motivates and energizes you the most. And the reason why that's important in understanding our why is because often with God, there's a, a very close connection between what we do and who we are physically with what he wants us to do and who we are spiritually. And we see that throughout the entire Bible uh, as we look at it. If you look at, just take like someone like uh, David. You know, everything that David was as a man before he became the king, God used that in some way spiritually to make him who he was to be in in his purpose, in his why. So as a shepherd, he was a leader. As a musician, he was a worshiper. You know, as a poet, he, he, he was inspired by the things of God. And God took every one of those things that he was just passionate about in life, and God sanctified them and used them in his calling that he had for David. You know, I look at uh, some of the guys in in the New Testament, and I think of Peter, who was a fisherman. And what did Jesus say? I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He was casting his nets, and Jesus used him to cast the nets. John and James were mending their nets. And how did Jesus use John and James? He used them to become uh, nurturers, those that knit the body together. You know, that was their uh, thing. It was very pastoral. I think of Matthew. He was an accountant. What did God use Matthew to do? To record with m- meticulous detail, not just the ministry of Jesus, but how it connected to the Old Testament scriptures and the fulfillment of the prophecies. You know, and so there's a connection between what we do, who we are. Internally, or just in the physical realm, and what God wants to do with us spiritually, and all of those things help us to stay centered on our why. And if we want to be effective as leaders in the Lord, is that we got to keep the why forefront. If we get lost in the the what we're doing, then we go off track. Why are we doing what we're doing? Very important. Uh, so that, know your why. Secondly, we want to discover or be discovering are what? What is it that God has called you to do? I know why I'm doing it. I know where that's coming from. But what is it that he is giving me to do? What is the area where he's called me to be a leader? And I think again of Jesus in this, because Jesus knew the answer to that question. And I had you turn to Matthew 16. I'm going to reference this uh, text a couple of times, but the passage um, that, that it comes from is, is starting in verse 13, and the whole thing really goes all the way up until the end of the chapter. But it's that episode where uh, Jesus asks his disciples the question, and he says, Who do men say that I am? You know, and now Jesus wasn't having an identity crisis, nor was he feeling a little low, and he needed some affirmation uh, and encouragement based upon public opinion or popular sentiment that was never Jesus, you know, so this was purely a teaching moment. And he was asking questions to engage in discussion in order to reveal about himself. And he did that very frequently. And he asked this question, who do men say that I am? And then this conversation begins where they begin to give answers because they had heard people talk about Jesus. They had read the newspapers and they were on Twitter and they, you know, were looking at people's posts. And so, you know, they had answers to it. Well, some say you're this. Some say you're like Jeremiah. Some say you're, you have the power of Elijah. Some say, you know, that you have the, the spirit of John the Baptist, you know, and everybody had kind of their opinions of, of the, the bent of slant of Jesus' ministry. But then Jesus asked the second question, and he said, okay, you guys have heard all of that, but you've also been with me personally in ways that no one else has, so who do you say that I am? And he then asked them the second question. And there there's silence in the room until Peter uh, steps up and shouts out, and he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And uh, we'll come back to that a little bit later on another point, but what I say that for now is because Jesus reply to Peter after he gave that response is that he said yes Peter he said and you are Peter and upon this rock I'll build my my church and that's that's it listen he said upon this rock I will build my church in other words Jesus right Jesus knew already what his what was he was going to build his church So the thing that drove him, the relationship with the Father, but the thing that was on his mind was the gathering of a bride. He knew what his what was, and then he was driven by it. And everything that Jesus did was somehow centered around his goal. This is what I will do. It was not yet done, but he knew what it was that he wanted to do. He had a clear vision, and he knew where it would come from, and he knew what it would look like. And so uh, he had that vision, and I think that's important for you and I is to understand, to discover what is your what. You know, what is the long term of your life, you know, aiming towards and funneling towards what is the purpose that God has for you, and we're called to know what that is. Peter would write later on in 1 Peter, he would tell you and I, he would say, make your calling and election Sure. In other words, find out from God what he wants from your life. Know what your what is. And my question this morning concerning that in us is, where are you in the process of it? Now, interestingly, when you look at Jesus and the way that he led these guys to discover what they were to do, there were three parts of the process. First, he identified the people. Then he developed them, and then he empowered them. He identified the who, and then he developed, and then he empowered. And that's what Jesus is doing in every one of us right now. He has identified you. He called you. You're here. You're in Christ because he wants to use you. He has a purpose for you beyond just being a consumer. He's got something for you. He's identified you. He is in the process of developing you, just like he did with the 12, and he's been doing with everyone ever since, is that he's developing. So he's changing our character. He's working out the things of the past and and removing them from our life. He's putting in the fruit of the Spirit and making us more Christ-like. He's teaching us by developing our gifts. He's giving us opportunities and using us along the way to bear fruit. He's using the trials and just, maybe it's not a trial, but just the circumstances of our life, the dynamics of our home life, the dynamics of our professional life, the dynamics of our relationships with other people. God is using every little part of our life to shape us in different ways to develop us in order to make us what he wants us ultimately to be. You know, So there's this development process while he's bringing us where we're going. And then the third thing that he does is he empowers us. Now, he does this in, in, in small ways along the way, But I believe that there does come a point where there is an empowering, where he kind of releases us into that thing, the what, that he has planned for us. You know, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said this. He says, you shall receive power. That's authority. That's an empowering, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you're going to be witnesses for me. Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the other most parts of the world. That's going to look different for every one of us. It's going to be expressed in a different way. It's going to have different dynamics. But he's going to give to us the empowering to then move forward in what it is that he's called us to do. And so... uh, um, so, so what is it that we're called to do? It's important that we understand that we make our calling and election sure. Uh, one of the other ways that we discover uh, what our what is, I, I don't, you say, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, part of it, discovering it, is just get in the game. You know, there's a reason why uh, we teach children multi-subject schooling, you know, like grammar school and high school, they do math, social, English, you know. The reason why we do that is so that they can then discover what it is that they're good at. And so sometimes part of discovering what it is that God's called me to do means I just get get myself involved in, in a lot of things, in everything, and then find out like where he uses me or where where things stick. So just get in the game. Third thing we want to do, not just know our why and discover our what, but we also want to walk in... Our how. When we talk about the Spirit coming upon us, what we realize is that the how behind the what is the person of the Holy Spirit. Our how is not a method. Our how is a person. And so when the Holy Spirit gives us authority to go forth and to do what God called us to do, that how is the person of the Holy Spirit. And it's important in that that we then rely upon him every day of our life in everything that we do. Absolute and total reliance on the person of the Holy Spirit is essential to the success of our uh, lives and of our leadership. And here's why. Here's why it's important to rely upon the Holy Spirit. Because there are too many variables in every moment of situational life in order for us to rely upon a method to do anything. There's too many variables, and God alone has his hand on those variables, and thus it's important that we be continually relying upon the person of the Holy Spirit in our lives to direct us in our moment-by-moment decision-making and the things that we do. You know, I think of uh, Jesus in this, and uh, I look at him in in his example of what this looks like in relying upon the person of the Spirit in his uh, leading. Um, There was an instance when he came in contact with uh, a shady lady, In John chapter 4, you know, he met this woman at the well. She had been with a a whole lot of guys. She was uh, a a very controversial figure in her town. She was actually from a controversial town. She was from Samaria, which uh, in that day was kind of like, you don't go there. That's like the Amsterdam of Israel. And, you know, Jesus and his disciples were passing through and this woman comes at midday, which you don't draw water at midday unless you don't want to be around the people that draw when everybody draws in the evenings, you know. So she's all all altogether off course in her life. And she comes in contact with Jesus and Jesus engages her in a conversation and he deals with her in a very delicate and specific way according to the variables of the situation, who she was, where she came from, he responded to the things that she was saying, you know, and he had a way of dealing with her where he knew how to get to the root of what was going on in her life and bring her to a place of salvation. There was no method involved in that. It was just in that moment, he was being led and he knew what to do. Okay, now fast forward to a further spot in Jesus' ministry. There was a second instance where he was in contact with a shady lady. He was there in the temple. He was teaching early in the morning. And in the quietness of that moment, there was a ruckus as a group of religious Pharisees dragged a naked woman into the room, threw her at the feet of Jesus, and said, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. And Moses said that we should stone her to death. What do you say? Now, Jesus didn't rely upon a method at that point. Well, how do I deal with shady ladies and adulterous situations You know, and then begin talking to her and saying, Hey, well, where do you think we should worship? Here in Samaria. You know, like that's what I did last time. You know, this whole thing came up. No, in that moment, completely unprecedented by anything anyone had ever done, he stoops down and he starts writing in the sand. And then he asks a question in that moment. He says, Well, which of you is without sin? You know, you throw the first stone. You know, and then he took this woman, he could interpret by the Spirit what was going on in the situation. He could see where she was at, that she was in a different place than the woman at the well, and he dealt with her with perfect grace. He said, where are those thine accusers? And she said, there are none, Lord. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. And he empowered her life to be different from that moment forward. It didn't take all of the questioning and interaction that it had at the woman at the well. Fast forward, there was another shady lady. Her name was Mary Magdalene. Again, she was demon-possessed. There were seven demons in her we know of, at least at one point. We know that she was a woman of sexual promiscuity because the Pharisees themselves said if he knew what kind of harlot this was, he would not allow her to do what she is doing. So we know the kind of woman that she was. And she came in the room and she anointed Jesus' feet with ointment and with her tears, and then she dried them with her hair. And Jesus' response to it is that he said nothing to her. There was nothing like the woman at the well. There was nothing even like the woman in in the temple. This one was completely different. He spoke rather to the people that were there in the room, and seeing the position of this woman's heart, that it was penitent, and that she was turned from her sin already, there was no need even to interact. And he just said to the people that were there, hey, who, who loves more, the one who's forgiven little or the one who's forgiven much? And he said, this woman has been forgiven of much, and she already knew it. And so Jesus didn't act the same way in every situation because every situation has so many different variables that it's impossible to rely upon a method to know how to act in a situation. And thus we need to rely upon the person of the Holy Spirit in every moment of our lives in the decisions that we make. It's not just true with people, but sometimes it's also true with situations. Sometimes it might seem that the situation is going to govern what I'm to do, but the Holy Spirit might have a different plan. We looked in a previous study about a revival that was happening in one of the Galilean towns when Jesus was there. Multitudes of people were coming. And it was early in the morning and Jesus had had retired to pray. And when the disciples finally found Jesus where he was, they said, Lord, you're late. The meeting has already started. The crowds have gathered and they're waiting for you to teach. And Jesus looked at them and said, guess what, guys? It's going to be a lonely day there today without me because it's time for me to move on to another village. There's other people that need to hear the message. You say, well, wait a minute. It's fairly obvious that I'm supposed to be here. Maybe not. And if we rely upon yesterday's move to determine today's action, sometimes we can miss what the Spirit would want us to do in the moment. And so if we're going to operate effectively and we're going to fulfill our course, it requires that we're constantly reliant upon the who of the Holy Spirit. You can say the who or the how, same thing. The how behind what we do is the who of the Holy Spirit. And we need that moment by moment by moment. And so we need to rely upon our who. And so thus far, we've talked about the why, the what, the how, and the who. Now these three, uh, the last, actually, what do I have here, one, Two three yeah. sorry, last three. Uh, quickly, you know, don't get nervous. Um, are unrelated to, to, to those um, those words, but uh, just keys to effective leadership is important for us in the context of all of that is that we're not afraid that we're people that are not afraid to take risks. that, that, that part of being a Christian. And part of being a leader and a person filled with the Holy Spirit is that sometimes we have to take risks because we don't, none of us have that magic connection to God. You know, I remember as an early Christian, I used to think that like pastors and spiritual leaders had like this this direct line and God just like talked, you know, and you get to a certain level, and you're so clear that you just always know what you're supposed to do, and you hear God's voice so clear. Listen, if that's your idea, get it out of your head, even, even right now, right? Because we're all, we're all human, right? And we all are subject to the same uh, weakness and the same blindness of physicalities, you know? So sometimes we, get, we can get things wrong, right? But we can't sit and do nothing, And so sometimes we have to take risks, and risks have rewards. So uh, you're already in Matthew chapter 16. I want you to look at a risk that was taken here, and I want you to see the reward that came on the other side of it. Uh, Again, Jesus asked the question, he said, who do you say that I am? That's what he asked the disciples that were there. And it says in verse 16 that Simon Peter answered. Okay, so now here's the risk, because Peter, they've been sitting in silence. You know, it's very easy to answer the first question. You could just shout out anything, and there's, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just opinions. But now when it comes becomes personal, who do you say that I am? Everybody's silent. Like, I don't want to get this wrong, you know. And Peter takes a big risk here. And he makes a pronouncement, so he's willing to stand up and step out and speak. And he says very boldly, he answered and he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, it seems like a very small thing, and maybe even inconsequential. But it was a risky thing for him to stand up, first of all, and speak, because he can make a fool of himself. Second of all, what he said is, is huge. I mean, it's huge, the ramifications of it. But notice the reward that came from a man who was willing to stand up and lead and take a risk. Look what happened. It says that Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Now listen, here here is the byproduct of taking risk for God is that sometimes it results in unexpected fruit. See, Peter here was speaking by the Spirit, and he didn't even know it. And there are times that we will take a risk, maybe to open our mouths or to step forward, and in the process of it, God is anointing that move, and he is using us in a way that we don't even understand or we don't even know. One of my uh, favorite things to do as a pastor is to counsel. And the reason why it's my, one of my favorite things to do is because it's almost impossible to prepare for counseling because you have no idea what's going to come up or what's going to be said. And, and, and my personal uh, thing is that when someone calls and makes an appointment, I don't want to know anything in advance. You know, so sometimes the secretaries might say, well, what's going on or what's this regarding? I don't want that. I want nothing. I want, I want you coming in, and I don't want to know a thing. And, and, and it's, it's sometimes you think, well, that's scary. You know, What's it going to happen? But that's the cool part, is that when you start to hear and listen, and then God begins to, to reveal, give insight, and move. It's so organic, and it's so fresh. And, and sometimes he speaks in the most amazing ways. And some of the most, and, and I would say, powerful God moments I've had where I've sensed the Spirit of God just speak something very powerfully and very quick and very direct has been in that moment where it's just like you're, you're, you're in a risky place. It's vulnerable, but he'll use you. Don't be afraid uh, to take risks. Not only is there unexpected fruit, but listen, it turned into an unexpected opportunity. Watch this, verse 18. Jesus said, and I say also unto you, listen, watch this, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, don't be confused to think that Peter, in some way, is this great foundation. It wasn't Peter. It was what Peter said. It was the fact of Jesus being the Christ, the pronouncement of Jesus as the Christ, the presentation of Jesus as the Christ. Upon this rock, Jesus the Messiah, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. But watch the opportunity. It says in verse 19... And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, to the full degree of what this means, that Peter has these keys, and what binding is on heaven and on earth, and how that translates, I cannot say with absolute certainty and fullness. But here's what I can say. I can say that part of the reason why Peter was listed first every time the apostles are listed Why Peter was used on the day of Pentecost to use that initial key to preach the message that brought the 3,000 souls into salvation, the reason why Peter was the chief of the apostles was partially because of this interaction right here. And what did it come from? He was the first one to stand up. He was the first one to just stand up and say something. He took a risk and it resulted in an unexpected opportunity. And the same thing happens for us. When we're willing to take risks for God by faith, sometimes He uses us in ways that we don't expect, and it opens up opportunities that otherwise we might have missed. So it's important to be risk takers in our leadership. The next thing uh, is be willing. Uh, this is number five. What are we on? I don't even know. <laughs> it says be willing. I, I use letters, I, letter G. What is? What, what, why did I do that? I don't know, you know, letter G. You know, be, willing, be willing to back down when you make a mistake. Good leaders are willing to back down when they make a mistake. If we're going to make risks, right, sometimes we're going to make mistakes. And when we make a mistake, we have to be willing to own it and back away from it. And that's exactly what Peter does next. If you read on in the passage, I mean, literally a few breaths later, Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer on a cross, and I'm going to die. And Peter goes, come here a minute, Lord. (laughs) Remember, I am the gatekeeper, and I do possess the keys. And and Lord, that ain't going to happen. That is not part of the plan. You know, you are not going to suffer. You're going to reign. We're not talking about a cross, we're talking about a crown. Peter took another risk. This was not a good risk. (laughs) He thought he would rebuke God. And Jesus took Peter aside and he said, I rebuke you, Satan, for you savor us, not the things which be of God, but the things which be of men. You're looking at this from the wrong perspective. You're looking from the bottom up, not from the top down. And Jesus put Peter in his place, all right? And it was time now for Peter to back down, all right? So before he piped up and it was good, This time he pipes up, and it was not good, and Peter had to back down. And sometimes we make risks, we find out we were wrong, and we need to make it right. And what's amazing about Peter is not only is he willing to do that, obviously, but that Peter didn't quit. Peter didn't make a mistake and and say, well, I'm so ashamed and so embarrassed now that I'm just going to take a back seat and I'm never going to stand up again. No, if there's one thing that you cannot ever say about Peter is that he was not a quitter. Peter made some serious mistakes, but he was not a quitter. Later on, Peter would deny Jesus three times. The cock would crow and Peter would go out weeping. He would even sort of quit and say, I'm going fishing, not because he wanted to quit, but because he thought he was disqualified. And when Jesus came to Peter and asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? Right? And Peter replied and he said, Lord, you guys know the interaction. I don't you develop it. We read Acts chapter 1. Listen, I love these words. It's in Acts chapter one. It says, in those days, Peter rose up. In those days, Peter, he stood up again. So sometimes we make a mistake. Sometimes we screw up. We're willing to own it, but then we're willing to stand up again on the other side and keep going. And that brings me to, uh, letter H (laughs) is that we're to make decisions without fear and don't look back. Make decisions without fear. Now, I'm not talking about here the correctable mistakes that we make. You know, we offend someone, we have to go back. We make a wrong move and we have to make it right. I'm talking about when we make life-altering decisions because we believe we're walking in the will of God and then things don't turn out the way that we thought or the way that we liked. Good leaders make decisions without fear and then don't look back. Not waffling, not indecisive Uh, uh, you know, um, sometimes the best opportunities never take shape because they get caught up in the wheels of indecision, of just in not making a decision about something. Do I do this or do I do this? Do I go this way or do I go that way? And oftentimes opportunities come and go because they never get out of that wheel horse wheelhouse of just indecision. Paul is an amazing example of this. If you read If you read the book of Acts uh, chapter 19, um, and I I mentioned earlier, so if you did put a finger there, it's Acts chapter 19. I want want you to to see the way that Paul operated in this principle of just making decisions and then not looking back. Um, Paul was in the middle of, of a great move of God in Ephesus. There was great things happening. I mean, people were really, really being changed. The city was being changed. And there was this little uproar. Um, and Paul started to sense that it was going to be time to move on, that God had more for him in his future. And look at verse 21 of chapter 19. It says that after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit. So I love that. That That's a great phrase. You could really stop and meditate on that for a while, is that he purposed in the spirit. So he was the one that was making the decision. He was the one that was doing the thinking But that thinking was being directed by the Holy Spirit. And so he made the decision, but it was a decision that was directed by God. And here's what it was. It says that when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, that he would then go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Now that's a very abstract plan, but it's a big one. (laughs) You know, I mean, he's in Asia Minor, So he's going to cross west across the Aegean Sea into Macedonia, travel all the way down south to Greece, and then he's going to take a ship and go to Jerusalem, and then from there somehow he's going to get to Rome. Now, there's no micro in there at all, right? But that's a macro plan, and that's exactly what what he went forward with and did. Now, why do I bring that up in, in, in this context of making decisions and not looking back? Here's why. Because he purposed, he made a decision that this is where I'm going and this is what I'm doing. Now, do you know what happened after Paul leaves Acts 19? Do you know what happens? Every single person that he runs into says, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Even a prophet stands up and says, thus says the Holy Ghost. And he takes Paul's belt and he ties himself up and he says, the man who owns this belt is going to be bound and beaten in Jerusalem. Everywhere. And Paul looks at every one of those people and he said, I made a decision. I made a decision. I'm going. And, and, And there's some wisdom there in leadership is that we make a decision, we entrust it to the Lord, and then we go. And you know what's amazing is that everything that Paul wanted to do he ended up doing. He went to Jerusalem and he all ended up where? In Rome. He ended up there in a prison. He, he went there escorted by guards in chains, but that's where he went. God let him. You know what I have found in, in this thing? Because I personally struggle with indecision. I, I'm an analyzer, you know, and I, this, this was, I'm I'm all b i am i am all love efficiency, you know? And I've I've seen so many things go by because they get stuck in that wheelhouse, you know, of indecision. You know, But here's what I have found and discovered in my own life and, in, and just observing and watching is that many of the decisions that we struggle with and, and that we don't make because we can't decide, they, they are what I would call poo sticks, poo sticks. Now, that's what that is, P-O-O-H, okay? It's Winnie the Pooh. It's a reference from the children's story, okay? There's a game. We play this because we hike, and we hike because we're poor. You know, this is just the life that we live, you know? But there's this game when you're standing on a bridge that goes over a river. Everybody takes a stick, and you throw your stick in the water on one side of the bridge, and then you run to the other side of the bridge, and you look and see whose stick comes out first. And it's just a racist. It's called Pooh Sticks, you know? And you have no idea what happens underneath the bridge. You know, some sticks go left of a rock, some go down the fast rapids, some get caught up in the, you know, whatever and whatever. Eventually, every stick ends up coming out the other side because the water's going the same way. And I have found that many of the things that we wrestle with in decision-making are poo sticks. It's going to end up in the right place. Just make a decision and watch where the stick goes. God's got his hand upon our lives. But it's important as we lead our families, as we lead in our church, As we lead in our ministries, as we lead our own lives, as we lead, we make decisions and we don't look back. Paul would be in chains. He would go as a prisoner, but never once did he look back and say, I should have listened. He just said, no, I made a decision and this is the way. And it's an important principle of effective leadership. So application questions and then we're done. I ask you this. How was your time with the Father? How is your connection with God? Have you lost track of your why? Because if you lose connection with the Father, you will lose track of your why. you lose your sense of purpose. Number two, are you seeking God's what for your life at this specific season of time? Are you still seeking God's what for your life? God, what have you made me for? What did you make me to do? Whether you know what it is already or you don't, are you seeking God's what? Number three, what can you do this year to take you out of the safe zone. What are some risks that you can take this year that might be, don't answer now, that might be for you a place where God unexpectedly uses you or a place where an opportunity might unexpectedly arise? Be on the lookout. Where can you be on the lookout this year for the risks that you can take to take you out of the safe zone? And then number four, what decisions are you facing in your life Right now, that you can make right now, you don't have to wait on the decisions. I was listening to one uh, pastor, and he was talking about um, how he how he kind of forces decision making out of some of the people that serve with him. Is that he'll give them he'll say you know he'll give them an ultimatum or something like that, uh, and and then and then you know and then he'll ask them, you know what are you going to do and they say well I don't know yet and he says well you have five seconds to decide. Four, three two, one, and they'll say something. And what he's found is that that's probably what you would have decided if you waited three months to. So just make the decision. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what decisions can you make right now? You know what I found is that sometimes making decisions is the most stress releasing thing in the world. Just make the decision. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so that you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave a review in iTunes or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.